Hi, I'm Liz Cully, and welcome back to Cool, Cool, Cool. Each week, I give you a glimpse into what I think is cool and chat with a ton of people that are definitely cool. No topic is off bounds unless, I guess, it's not cool. Welcome to Cool, Cool, Cool. I started smoking weed when I was in the seventh grade, which I know sounds really, really young, and that is because it is really, really young. I was supposed to be at my school dance, but I went on a walk with two of my friends, and one of them, Griffin, had a pipe and some weed, and I remember like, not even hesitating. I was like, yes, let's go into an alley. I went to school in San Francisco. Um, let's go into an alley and let's get fucking high. And I guess that's just what you do when you are 12 years old and you smoke menthols and you give two fucks. You smoke weed at your seventh grade dance and you laugh and laugh and laugh about a Cartman joke. I don't even know what it was. I just, it's seared into my memory that we laughed and laughed about Cartman. I habitually smoked weed until I was about 19 years old, pretty much every single day. I would wake up in the morning, smoke weed. I would go to school, come home from school, smoke weed. Try to not be high at dinner, (laughs) smoke weed, go to bed. I even went to boarding school, somehow figured out how to smoke weed every single day. It was typically in fields, behind buildings, in cemeteries. Um, I even traveled to other countries and somehow figured out how to smoke weed there. And in hindsight, it was very reckless behavior. But I pretty much stay at home with my dog and my wife these days. So thank God I practiced reckless behavior at some point in my life. Being a teenager in San Francisco in the early 2000s and smoking weed was a really unique experience. I, I, I say that because it feels in some ways like the birthplace of America in terms of um, widespread cannabis love. Obviously, cannabis is a plant that has been around for one bajillion years. Yep, that is the uh, scientific and the correct amount of years it's been around. But I think San Francisco obviously being, you know, the mecca of the hippie movement, weed was everywhere. And It was interesting because I grew up around people of all ages and all backgrounds going up and down the coast to Mendocino, whether they were buying or selling, they were trimming. I used to trim in the summers to make a little extra cash. People's parents smoked, their grandparents smoked, the guy on the corner smoked, your teacher smoked. It was definitely all around us. And then, of course, you know, the laws from a recreational standpoint would kind of change Sometimes it would be for medical, sometimes it wouldn't, you know. uh, So there was also all of these head shops turned into dispensaries that would be legal for a moment and then illegal. So definitely prowling around San Francisco in the early 2000s. I saw a lot and I met a lot of people. I have very specific and fond memories of smoking weed during Pride in San Francisco's Dolores Park and, uh, you know, being very cautious about the brownies or any of the edibles that I ate uh, in the park. I also remember being in New York in college and being in Washington Square Park and, you know, hanging out with friends and smoking weed and listening to music, watching all sorts of people smoke weed all around me, coast to coast. They always seemed a lot happier, lighter, brighter than the wasted people spilling out of the bars in the West Village. 
I knew I was smoking too much weed because I was smoking it all the time. It's like candy. It's not going to technically kill you. It kind of can. But anything you have uh, that is considered a treat, you should do in moderation, right? And I, and I wasn't doing that. I started to develop some throat problems due to singing um, around 19 and 20. So I took a forced break from cannabis. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I did like feeling more clear-headed. And so I stopped for about eight, nine years. Um, and then by the time I tried to be interested in cannabis again, it had gotten so strong. Legalization in specific states had happened from a recreational perspective. Weed was being outsourced and money was really pumping into the industry. And I was like from going from smoking a bowl to barely being able to take a hit. Um, and that sucks. <laughs> now I barely smoke weed, if I'm being honest with you. But I, I typically use cannabis from a topical and an ingestible perspective for like specific things for nausea, menstrual cramps, a headache, to sleep. And it feels like the cannabis industry has grown so much and there's all of these like fringe kind of um subsets. Like I would consider Busy Phillips and her friends like the white ladies who live in the canyon to be a fringe group. Uh, just as much as I do the queer cannabis group. But through all of this, I have met a lot of really interesting and cool friends in the cannabis space as of late, specifically Drew Martin, Andrew Freeman, Nick Pritzker, who were all behind the brand Drew Martin. Um, I love them. They've become dear, dear friends. And I sat down with Drew to talk about how the cannabis industry has changed and really what the state of it is right now. Is weed gay? <laughs> Weed's the gayest. What's not? I do think weed, it's funny. I think that, or actually, should I say, do you call cannabis weed? Yeah. You know, we talk, we use, we use the terms interchangeably, I think, um, and kind of depending on the audience. For me, for me, weed is more of a colloquial term. Um, cannabis, we use when we're talking uh, in a space where we're trying to break more stigma. Um, and sort of normalize that for other people. Like rich old white people? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I I think about how much I used to smoke weed. I started smoking weed in seventh grade. I loved it. I loved it. I remember the first time I smoked weed literally so clearly, which is funny because now I can't remember anything. And yet <laughs> I can remember that specific I was in an alleyway. We were supposed to be at my seventh grade dance. And me, my best friend Griffin, my other best friend Gabby, we went into this little alleyway. I went to school in San Francisco. We were like right off of Broadway and we went into an alley. And this we makes sense. We smoked weed out of an apple. And for some reason, I couldn't stop laughing about South Park <laughs> and Cartman. And I just kept laughing and laughing, laughing. And then were you we scared? I wasn't scared. That's what's so interesting. I wasn't scared. I immediately loved it. And then we went, we like doused ourselves in Axe body spray as mm. one does mm. to not smell <laughs> conspicuous. Mm. And then we went to the dance and I went to Catholic school and they were like, yeah, you're not getting in here. And then I don't know, we didn't get in trouble, but I smoked at least I would say between a half an eighth and an eighth a day 
Damn, that's impressive. I know. That's more than and I've ever And you know me smoked. really well. Like I yeah. barely smoke for I would say until I was 19. I like really smoked. I mean, I was high all the time. What, I, I I don't what know. Change. I got I was singing and I got really bad um nodules in my throat mm. and they said I couldn't smoke anymore. And so I stopped. And what happened was is in the time Oh God, you guys can't see this, but we have this golden retriever named Dot who is just desperate to be on Cool Cool Cool. Um, And I stopped smoking weed from about, I would say what year is that? So that would be 2004 I stopped smoking until like 2013. And guess what happened in those 10 years? Weed got so strong. So strong. How did weed get so, so strong? strong? And so then I'm scared now. Right, right. All the time. Well, it's a different thing since, since really the early 2000s. But this is really a function, too, of legalization in California, right? And so when it has come sort of out from the underground, um, breeding has become a lot more uh, available and readily available. And, and in that sense, because it's in the open uh, and, there's a, and there's a market now that can sort of make demands that it maybe couldn't previously um these breeders are really working hard to to train the plants to produce higher amounts of thc so what you're smoking today is three to four times stronger than what you were smoking in the 90s in the 80s in the 70s i don't want that that's i don't want to smoke weed Listen, three four times why do they, what the fuck i agree i hear my dad <laughs> tell me stories a lot about how they would buy an ounce of weed and sit down between four friends and smoke the whole ounce at once and they felt buzzed that sounds wonderful i, I no, it really it truly is i mean i started smoking weed again actually the first time i smoked weed this is a true story in all those years, I smoked weed with Wiz Khalifa. Okay. Which That's was a, legit. I don't feel like it, he's interested on, in getting high light. Well, no, it's actually, it's on the internet. You can see it. It's very well documented where I say to Wiz Khalifa, I don't smoke weed anymore because I get scared. And then there is a gif, it does exist, where he says, do you want to get scared? It was on video. <laughs> and that was when Giffy was really coming out. And somebody, or my editor, made it into a gif and it went all over the fucking internet. And it was crazy. And it was terrible. I was at work and I really felt like I was on mushrooms and I don't want to be on. And mushrooms. you were scared. I was scared. Yeah, I was scared. And I do. I do get scared. It sucks because I want to feel like I used to feel when I smoked weed in high school. I would I would get high and I would listen to music. And I mean, a lot of that is also like my pituitary gland going wild sure. and like all of those things. But and the novelty of it, I'm sure. Correct. But my relationship being born and raised in San Francisco, you know, getting weed from kind of black market, there was also a lot of um, dispensaries. I don't know how privy you are to this, like in the early 2000s in San Francisco mm. that were totally, they were medical, but they were like, were totally yeah. abused, the, like the Golden Triangle. I don't know if that gets me in trouble, but whatever. I don't think it exists anymore. Um, it does. The Golden Triangle, the, not the place, but like the actual dispensary uh, the in San shop. Francisco. I'm sure yeah, it was not. on Haines Street. I'm sure not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would go in there and we would hang out for hours. We would hang out for hours and like. Those were the days when you would buy weed out of like big glass jars. Yes. That they would just pull nugs out and weigh them out for you on scale. Yes. I do miss that. Yeah. And it was just like a different, it was a different 
thing and it was a different time and it's so interesting, but it was so dominated by like white dudes, like white cis straight guys. And I think, you know, and again, maybe I'm not knowledgeable about like how I guess other markets, but it felt like business wise, it was kind of capitalized by straight white men. And then obviously all these black and brown folks that were also selling weed were going to jail at disproportionate fucking levels. And there were no there was no gay queer presence. But how does does that feel like it's changed or is it still very no, much the not same? at all? I think it's exactly the same. I think that, you know, 90 percent of stakeholders in legal cannabis are straight white men today um, that are financing everything and and still running companies um, and growing weed. I think that the, yeah. if, if you go and spend time up in Humboldt and Sonoma that's what you that's what you see and that's that continues to be the pervasive culture um all the way down to the brand side and the product side which is which is obviously where we the space we occupy but we're one we're one out of a handful in the entire state of of hundreds of brands and companies that that identify as queer and that are vocal about that um do you think that helps you or hurts you with the business being so outspoken about being queer Oh, I don't really give a shit whether it helps or hurts. I'd, I'm here to right. say it. Um, but no, I think it, I think it, I think both. I think on the business side and, and if you're looking at things from an industry perspective, I often feel um, uncomfortable or sort of unfit to occupy these spaces. Like when Cult- you're raising culturally. or when you're like going to perspective like oh God, dispensaries? Both. Definitely yeah. both. Um, but I, I think generally if I'm, I'm at an industry event, if I'm at a conference or something like that, culturally, the, the dude, bro, pervasive culture is something that I don't necessarily love to engage in. Is it still very much like I've been to a few cannabis what is it? I went to some judge thing. It maybe it was like Sacramento. Yeah, I don't like know. the Emerald Cup yes, or yes, any yes, of yes, these yes, yes, things. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it was very much. It felt like I was at a er, like a mid to late nineties hip hop reggae festival with white people. With white people. Yeah, and th- is and that you know still what? The exactly same? the same today? Exactly, still the same today. No, and I don't mean to dismiss. There are a lot of people doing incredible work to sort right. of continue to expand the industry and and the community and bring this uh, and bring this to new communities. And I don't mean to discredit that because there is really powerful a powerful movement um, happening, and specifically with the integration of Black and Brown communities. Um, I think a little bit less so with queer communities. Well, that's which, what I mean. I think I feel like weed. Listen, I. You know, one of the first ways I was introduced to people using cannabis not in a recreational, fun way was through the AIDS crisis in San Francisco. Yeah. Growing up there, I saw, you know, my cousin passed away of AIDS and watching that as a 10 year old, like, yeah. Let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, it's heavy. I have never fucked a dude without a condom. (laughs) <laughs> I'm married to a woman. I've been with her for almost 10 years. It probably won't ever happen again. But I'm just saying, like, I listen to these young people today and they're like, yeah, I never use condoms. And I'm like, wow, you definitely have not seen someone die of right. AIDS because I have and it's gnarly as shit. But back then, a lot of people were making brownies because people were suffering so badly. And it was, you know, again, it was yeah. people at home learning how to make the butters, doing the whole thing. I mean, like, that's, whatever. that's. I think the irony here too. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the brownies, I immediately think of, of Brownie Mary 
um, who who was huge in the in the nineties, started in the eighties, and and really through the nineties in San Francisco specifically, um, and really dedicatedly working with uh, AIDS patients in San Francisco. And, yeah. and I think from a larger perspective, California owes its entire cannabis legalization to queer activists uh, and and the queer movement um, that was you know, unfortunately, because of the AIDS crisis is, is why we have legal cannabis today. Dennis Perone was really the one who spearheaded this. And, and the name that we know the most um, as really advocating with the cannabis buyers clubs uh, and, moving, and moving forward with that, um, Harvey Milk was a huge, uh, huge advocate of cannabis. And these people were honest to God, the only reason that cannabis is legal today in California. So to to engage with the community today and not see that as even recognized or even understood by any of these of these people and and all the way from cultivators down to retailers it's it's shocking to me that there's no acknowledgement or even understanding or visibility of the in my mind the sole reason that cannabis is legal in California was because of queer act activists pushing this forward um, in a humanitarian effort for the queer community and for the AIDS for the AIDS patients. I know it's such a it's such an interesting thing. I think people really forget, you know, how political, unfortunately, it is to be queer and how not only that being visible in that act, but then all of the other things that come with that. Right. So mm -hmm. it's like whether it's you know, trying to get legislation or things like cannabis passed to help those that are suffering from an epidemic like AIDS that is really hitting not only the queer community, but also black and brown folks, too. Yep. I mean, in Atlanta um, and Georgia specifically, black women yeah. suffer from AIDS and HIV more than anybody else, you right. know, and they're completely forgotten about. And then you know, you think about like women's, you know, reproductive rights or marriage equality. Like it's just, it's such an interesting thing that like we're still here and we're still talking about it. But cannabis culture is always so interesting to me because it's a counterculture in many ways. Absolutely. Even yeah. though it's been around for so, so long, it's been a medicine that has been used forever. Forever. Yeah. You know, um, and it's hard to, to, you know, there's there's such an overlap, I think, between countercultures by the nature of of them being counterculture, right? And so, so in my mind, cannabis as a counterculture definitely has held hands with queer counterculture, and, of course, and anti-capitalist counterculture, and obviously this the big movement in the '70s and and that continues on today. Is you have this deep overlap and sort of mingling between these, and I think. To look at one, you need to look at, at, at many, right? Where do you see, I mean, cannabis is in a tricky spot, right? It, you know, the legalization has done, in some ways, some good. <laughs> you guys can't see this. Dot is very involved in this conversation, <laughs> and I'm dead obsessed. She's truly the best. Um, it's done a lot of good in, in terms of, I think, visibility. I mean, the fact that my parents friends in florida who are in their 80s and total wasps are like using cannabis instead of alcohol or percocet or exactly. you know what i mean like opioids right. like great you know and they're more open to it they're more receptive of it but it's also done a lot of bad 
And I think that it's like, and, and I don't think the normal sort of like everyday person who maybe even doesn't live in a state like California or Chicago or Colorado where there's been, or Florida, quite frankly, the recreational medicinal, you know, legalization of cannabis understands. But what are like the current challenges you think for a cannabis brand in general? I'm dying. (laughs) I'm trying to not die. You have to chill, babe. So bad. So bad. So bad to be part of this. It's just <laughs> adorable. Um, but what do you think are the current challenges for a cannabis brand? Yeah. Because of the legalization yeah, in so many places. You know, I think there's a there's a couple different facets to this. And and I obviously can speak specifically to the California market. Sure. Um, because this is where we've been. We obviously we're you know, we just are launching into the New York uh rec market. Um, but way too early to to say anything, right? It's been it's been a month. When uh, did the, the Med Men on like Fifth Avenue though open? Remember that years ago, but not and selling what the, weed. What the fuck they were they doing? Opened that as a placeholder. They wanted to hold on until. And Med Men's Dunzo? No. Med Men's not Dunzo. They've they've kind of shifted and moved around a lot and really refocused all their efforts on California. Okay, that's, so they've yeah. given up a lot of their other markets and and are really kind of regrouping here. For those listening, Med Men is like the. They always kind of coined themselves as the Apple store of weed. And it really felt that way. You really had kind of people working in the store, hovering over you in a great way, but also like in an Apple store-esque way. Yeah. But you would look at something and then you they would go in the back and get it. And it was a good Which, experience. You know, it's a good I, experience. Yeah. You know? And in so many ways, I think that is such a good example of you know, kind of what cannabis legalization has done. In many ways, MedMen was, you know, led the way for destigmatization in the market. They created a space where people who were not previously cannabis users could feel comfortable and could be educated. On the flip side, you know, going back to your question, what what has legalization done? If you're looking at this from a philosophical perspective, it is taking the counterculture out of cannabis. Um, And so in, in that way... That's difficult because you sort of lose a lot of the value-driven nature of what the movement's doing or can. Uh, on the flip side, you're creating access for so many more people and you're creating the ability to change minds and and offer this plant and this medicine to people that, that otherwise had no idea. Yeah. Um, offering it recreationally to people uh, as a replacement for alcohol or other drugs that can be more uh, harmful to your body and mind. But but there's pros and cons to to both sides of that. There's there's difficulty with in the legalization in the in the new market for inequity. And California has had a really difficult time rolling out legalization in a way that is equitable to yeah. um, to stakeholders and to a community, black and brown communities specifically, um, who have been targeted by the war on drugs and have not been given a leg up. Um, as we've seen capital flow in and and operators come into the space that that generally continue to be you know white men looking to quite literally profit and capitalize off of this because now this is within the within the American capitalistic system and so you i think you it's it's complex i think it's nuanced and you have to really weigh the benefits uh and then try to really minimize those disadvantages 
that any legal market's going to bring. And there's a there's some great advocacy and great uh, trade groups and and uh, nonprofits that are doing this work. The state's not doing it for us. California really tried to set up an equity program that prioritized those people that had been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs and trying to lift up brown and black people into positions of of power and as as business owners and licensees. But unfortunately, it's been pretty botched top because to if, bottom if i'm not wrong is cannabis class one yes that's fucking crazy it's the same as meth yes if for any of my dog the bounty hunter <laughs> fans yeah it is james, it's ice bruh like right. it's completely it's fucking insane to have zero medical value and to be highly addictive and and it's just so listen you know Cannabis, everybody uses things in different ways, right? You can eat cheese. Too much cheese. Way too much cheese. Your tummy hurts. It's not good for your arteries. Terrible. Same thing with cannabis. I see those two as similar in the sense that like you're not going to like die. I mean, listen, I was in Mexico one time and Marta, who next time you go to Vallarta, another person you have to meet, she's the best. Fantastic. Marta is a uh chef like ama- she grew up on the border of california and mexico classic lesbian feminist like 80s san francisco Perfect. you would be obsessed Perfect. with her and she loves cannabis and i had forgot i didn't bring cbd with me and when i use and i've talked about this a lot on my show i've talked about this on many shows when people have asked me how I typically use cannabis. I love a high ratio of CBD to cannabis. So I love like a two to six, one to 10, whatever. I, yeah. I use it for pain and anxiety and sleep. So those are the kind of ratios, if anybody's listening, that they should look out for. Please send. <laughs> Please sponsor me. <laughs> um, and so I was there and she had this little thing that looked like a syringe, like a baby little syringe. And she's like, I think this is CBD. You should take it. I was like, mm. okay, yeah, sure, no problem. I know where this is going. So I have been drinking <sighs> mezcal all day. And I, this is before I went on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And if I drank too much, it would be really hard for me to sleep. And I was like pretty fucked up. And I was like, oh my God. I'll do what I do all the time, which is take a little bit of CBD, which I like because, again, it's not taking Advil. It's not, to, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. I took the syringe and I just shoved it in my mouth. That was the last thing I remember. And it was disgusting. It coated my whole mouth. It was like sticky tape. It was like almost, almost um, like, like glue. It was glue. Correct. Yeah. And it it's tasted called Rick Simpson oil. terrible. Yeah. Um, well, I believe it was dab oil that I decided to eat. Uh, and I woke up in the morning or actually I never slept. If I'm being honest <laughs> with you, I went to different worlds. I felt like I was Sonic the Hedgehog in, uh, the casino world. I felt like I was in the Greek world. I don't know if anybody played Sega Genesis, but you'll get it. My references. I felt like I was seeing my body from another place. I, um, I've never felt so crazy in my life. I woke up, I called my wife, now my now wife, and I said, I think I made a big mistake. Something happened. I feel out of body. I was shaking uncontrollably. My eyes were a deep purple red. And I had found out that I had ingested about 100 milligrams of concentrated mm. 
cannabis. Now, for those listening, I don't like to take more than 2.5. One, two, 0.5. Maybe one, maybe two. A hundred plus milligrams of concentrated dab oil is what I ate. But I didn't die. All I did, I drank water. I buried myself in the sand. Yeah, look, you'll feel like shit. You can feel overwhelmed. But I'm not going to overdose. I'm never going to overdose. So my point that I've always been kind of so stuck on is this idea that all of these people are. Listen, everybody can have their own opinion about drug dealing. I allegedly paid for my first year of school by doing what I did. I. You cannot equate, in my opinion, synthetic drugs to cannabis. Right. And it's fucking ridiculous. Right. And, and look, I don't think it's, it's not that there isn't an ability to abuse That's what cannabis, I'm saying. I right? think you exactly. can. Like, Definitely. I think people it can be, can it can be a, a exactly. crutch. It can be for sure. escapism in the same way that, as you mentioned, uh, so many other things can be. I think it's different in that cannabis is an inebriant. Notice that I won't call it an intoxicant. It's not a toxin to your body. Alcohol is an intoxicant. Uh, your body, it's, it's poison Even though your I really body. do like this oh wine. Oh my God, Where's Nick? love wine. Nick, bring us the wine. <laughs> this wine is delicious. Um, yes. Love a glass of wine, love alcohol. I worked in alcohol for a long time as well. But, but cannabis is, is similar but different. It's not hurting your body. But that doesn't mean you can't um, That's what I'm saying. form like a relationship cheese. with it. It's literally exactly. like cheese. It's like sugar. It's, I, I totally agree. It's like you can over abuse anything. You right. can do too much. I see these girls on TikTok, they put makeup, they put pounds of foundation on their face, abusing the foundation. Right. You know what I mean? Where do you see the future of cannabis going? Mm. Let me tell you what I hope, where I hope I see it going. Okay. I hope that I see, I hope that we see more, I hope that we see increased distribution. Uh, and by that, I mean, I hope that it, it becomes easier to sell and distribute and, and give larger groups of people access to it in such a way that, that then creates a stable and healthy economy for it on the business side. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm in the, in the cannabis business side of things. And we struggle really hard. We struggle a lot to, to, for people to have access to knowing who we are. You know, we're forbidden from, from nearly all traditional marketing and small boutique companies really struggle to exist because of the way that the legal system is working. And so you're looking at this hyper capitalization, this sort of deep, deeply, you know, monopolized industry immediately. And so right. having craft farms, if you're looking at if you're looking at the cannabis industry and you're looking at alcohol or speaking of alcohol as an analog, we've fast forwarded to just Bud Light and Bush. But where is that in between where people really who who want to spend their energy and their life on the craft and create a beautiful product that can be uh, more health driven, uh, that can be more experience driven are really being squished and squeezed out? And I think that's the exact opposite of what we wanted to happen with, with opening the cannabis market. So my dream would be a more balanced and fair legal system that gives more opportunity to small and craft companies and, and most importantly, gives more opportunity to queer, to black and brown operators in the space that really deserve 
this the most, right? Yeah. It's, these are the these are the advocates and these are the 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 bearers and the forefathers of and and for people and persons of where we are today that are being severely disadvantaged now in in the legal space. I want to say first and foremost, I reached out to a few and I only say a few because it feels like there is only a few female identifying cannabis founders in the industry to no avail, which really sucked. Um, I was pleased and grateful and humbled by the lovely cis men that I interviewed in this episode. But I just want to say that because I don't want to get any backlash from what I gathered from Drew And what I've seen here in the last couple of years in L.A. is that the queer community in cannabis is getting a lot stronger. And he pointed me into the direction of Bud's Digest, which is this stunning, gorgeous publication, you know, that discusses a lot of issues and um, conversations within the cannabis space, but then also more specifically kind of the queer community and conversation in cannabis, which I absolutely love. They have had the most incredible people on their covers, everyone from King Princess to Bo and Yang. They've got a few more that seem like they're going to be major because they're major. But I like love me a high curated, elevated. Yes, those are all cannabis puns. uh, Publication from Brooklyn and uh, These two, Ben and Mac, give me their perspective on the space, how they came up with Bud's Digest, and um, they were just lovely to talk to. It's interesting. I think the publishing world, because I have worked in it on and off my entire career, has always really wanted, and I, I should say the larger, more commercial publishing world, has always wanted to kind of cover cannabis outside of the old school cannabis-focused magazines, but I think they've always struggled or they've been too fearful to do so. That was always my experience. Um, So what made you want to start a cannabis publication in the first place? Totally. Yeah, do you want to start, Ben? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think about often, which is something that was phrased like this back to us, but you know, queerness and cannabis were yeah, kind of fringe cultural things for a long time, um, taboo and not fully accepted. And we're in an interesting place right now where both, both of them are kind of being accepted into the mainstream or being talked about more often. Um, so there, there's a very interesting connection and overlap there, I think. Um, I think that like a basic level, you know, we're both queer and we're both interested in cannabis. So it was kind of like, well, that's, that's would be fun for us. I think we're both really interested in kind of like escapism or psychedelia or something. And then also the cultural elements of being queer and how important that is to talk about right now, just as much as ever. So um, I think, yeah, using that kind of little corner as a way to, to talk about queer people is really fun and exciting to us. Why is it important to have a queer focused cannabis community magazine and community in general. Yeah, I mean, I think you can look around the world right now. It's like queer and LGBTQ rights have been, you know, riding a wave, but also they're completely under attack again. And I think any sort of lens that you can put on any sort of queer person doing anything is really important. 
uh, at this time. You know, we also have a, a unique angle, I think, for Bud's Digest in particular is that I think queer people can have very unique relationships with each other. And um, both Ben and I experienced that with our own partnerships and also in a way with each other and with friends here in New York City that this, this concept of having a Bud is 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 very loose for queer people and we can kind of define our relationships with with each other on really original terms so i think you know our idea to to merge queerness and cannabis in buds digest sort of was a natural fit because um we really wanted the editorial to be based around conversations between two people this was our original idea we always wanted two people who like to smoke together or who like to just hang out together to get into like an intimate conversation so and these people could be bandmates or siblings or um, lovers or friends. And um, they all found kind of unique points of view to talk about cannabis in the magazine. I remember being, you know, 18, 19, walking around the streets of New York City, smoking weed. And it was so, not taboo. Well, yeah, no, maybe I'll go with it. It was pretty taboo coming from California and I did a stint um, in Western Massachusetts in Northampton, which is a pretty like hippie liberal place. So while at that time I had to like go into a weird cemetery or the woods or something to smoke weed so that I wouldn't get kicked out of school, New York, it just felt like such a fun place to be stoned. It was like, it was, it was like crazy for me. And I had such a fondness growing up in San Francisco smoking weed and like walking along the water. And so to do that, but it, but people wouldn't like stare at me. I mean, as much in San Francisco, because a lot, it was more culturally acceptable to have cannabis in San Francisco. But in New York, in the early 2000s, people were like, what the fuck? It was like, as if I was doing heroin on the street. That's like how it felt. People would just stare, you know? And now, when, wow, I was just about to say 10, which is really... Not optimistic. Yeah. I was really just about to say 10 years later, and it's not, it's 20. Wow, fuck. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, so 20 years later, it feels like everybody like hits a vape or smokes. And now, obviously, um, the technology has changed where you can just like smoke a vape in public and it doesn't even smell like weed, which is, I could really use that back in the day. Do you think New York City is a wonder, like now that it's recreationally legal, which felt like it took forever, do you think that New York City is still one of the best places to like walk around and be high? Certainly a lot of stimulants, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot to look at. A lot of smells, a lot of sounds. I think the the coolest things about New York is is how they they release the laws for it. And I think whenever people ask as they come and visit, like, what's the law? What's the law? And it's anywhere you can smoke a cigarette, you can smoke weed. Oh, really? Absolutely. That's like the bottom line. If you can smoke a cigarette there, you can also be smoking weed. Is that in, the in same all of New York State. Yeah. That, I wonder if that's the same in California. Um, what have you learned about your queerness since creating Bud's Digest? I think it's a really interesting question. And I um I think the biggest thing for me is just I love like collaborating with more and more people and um, kind of like it's expanded my my immediate network and my immediate like community of cool queer people doing queer things and cool 
creative stuff. So that is really just enriching and feels great. And I want to, I want more of that in my life uh, for sure. How I think about myself as a queer or something, I'm not sure it's really changed other than like maybe validating that I felt, I think Mac and I both felt like this was a good lens to put on to like an interesting, somewhat niche sector of the community. And it's nice to know that there's like so many more people that it's like resonating with. Um, and maybe they weren't feeling like they were being seen in other publications and stuff. So that's, that's also extremely rewarding and uh, encouraging and inspiring. What about you, Mac? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely a connection to others, both for myself. I love like reading our, our own articles and editing them, of course, and, and, and hearing people talk about, you know, cause we pose this question to, to artists that we admire to death, you know, that's how Ben and I pick a lot of these subjects. Is it just artists that we, um, we love. We just had these two artists in conversation, Sarah Beth Tomberlin and Hand Habits, um, who are mutual musicians and tour mates and, and friends and, you know, we give them prompts in, in a similar way to this. And um, a lot of it is talking about their queerness. And I loved Tom Berlin talking about how like earth and the woods were like queer to her. And that really resonated with me. It's something that I, I, I feel like I think about if I'm smoking or if I'm doing mushrooms. I think I think gay people have come from this sort of like ancient spring or something, you know, I, or I, at least I feel like that when I'm like really tripping. And so to hear somebody else kind of say the same thing, you know, she's like, you know, queer, queerness and, um, and this intersection is is definitely earthbound and um little stuff like that kind of kind of makes me feel you know even even less alienated and i think that it does it for our, our readers too i love that i i want to be on mushrooms and and think about queer people coming from the creeks and <laughs> and the leaves that's fucking awesome that's great um do you think cannabis still has the vibe of like headshots, sublime kind of bro culture, or do you think that it has changed at all? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's personal for, for each person too. And I, it's proven in, in the magazine just because we get so many unique perspectives from, you know, an international level, but certainly a national level, people who grew up in California versus Chicago or New York. And, um, and yeah, even, and for me too, I mean, all through, I always thought head shops and stuff were like weird places growing up, you know, like I grew up in Nevada and there was a lot of like sort of white trash, like association with cannabis. And like, I just, and even if I may say on air, it should kill me, but my, I grew up in like a pot household, like it was, we, they grew plants in my house growing up. And um, so it was very, very hippie, dippy liberal. And I like rejected against that. I thought that was like, the opposite of what I wanted to do. So I did, you know, I didn't smoke weed until I was like 30 years old, pretty much. Really? Yeah. My all through my twenties is completely straight edge. Um, so it's been a, it's been an interesting, like second sort of coming to, to earth a little, or like coming out a little bit. It was like, I kind of became a different kind of gay, I think at 30. When, so what was that experience like? Can you describe like when you decided to smoke cannabis for the first time at 30? Um, yeah, I was in a long relationship all through my twenties and then I left that relationship and was, have had a very sad rebound. But when I, when I met my now husband, he was a, he was a big stoner and I had never ever thought about being with a stoner or anything. And, um, and he certainly was the, one of the main influences for, for Buzz Digest, you know, meeting him and, and having this very, very sweet and soft connection that would often 
you know, surround the plant. You know, it was really cool. I was I never fallen in love with um with someone and, and used cannabis during that time. And it's it's really cool. It's really unique. And um and again, like we had um, we've had John Roberts from Bob's Burgers in the magazine, who's who's a huge stoner, and he 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 released an album this year and has a song called "Stoned in Love," and it, it's it's a little bit about that, and it's it's funny to see these these examples of of sort of buds digest that exist for a lot of different people, you know. So, and I had that experience, and that um that proved to me that the the, the cannabis is cool. We found love in a gay, hopeless cannabis place. I absolutely love the idea of two people falling in love by changing their perspective on something, because that is what I really got from Mac when he told me about how he softened his views on cannabis and softened into such a puddle that he ended up getting married, which I absolutely love. A few things I want to do before we wrap up this episode is I want to shout out Bud's Digest IRL meet and greet in the park this June 11th in Prospect Park. I'll put some information on Instagram there. Um, Who doesn't want to smoke weed in the park? I did all in my high school days and I'd love to now. Um, You should check out Drew Martin if you are in a state that sells recreational cannabis it's amazing it's low dose it's botanical it's beautiful they're the fucking best and they do really good things in the world and i think i'm actually gonna make like my ultimate stoner playlist um and i'll throw it up on the patreon so if you haven't checked out the patreon check it out i just did my first live Q&A with my dear friend Mariana McGrath where we did some pride makeup trying to program and do some fun things for you guys there but hope you enjoyed this episode I have highlights on my Instagram all about CBD you can always ask me questions I also have a full list on my Patreon about every single cannabis and CBD product that I love so definitely can share as much information as I have but um enjoy being gay and enjoy being stoned and uh Happy Pride.